everyone. I'm Kirby. And I'm Sarah. And, and we're, we're Gloss Angeles. Strivectin is a brand that's long been regarded as top-tier skincare by professionals of all kinds. We personally love how all of Strivectin's products are backed by science. If you're looking for an eye cream to help smooth the appearance of crow's feet and under-eye puffiness, Strivectin's new Intensive Eye Concentrate for Wrinkles Plus is proven to do so starting in just five days. To learn more, visit Strivectin.com. Let's just do it. You ready, David Dave? Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Let's Get Into It. The Rona. The Rona, Rona edition. What number is it? 49er. Yeah, after 50, you can't no, keep track. No, no you can't Logan keep track. track. He's on like 2,400. Does he really say that? Yeah. Oh, wow. Like 12, yeah. I want to get that fool on here, dude. I wish. I would love to get Joe Rogan on. Well, that's it. there's an open invite to Joe Rogan. All right, let's make it happen. Hey, uh, can you... I want to talk about this song that's playing right now. Not that song. The song that you hear at the beginning of our podcast. Do you hear that? Yeah. yeah. I love that song. Um, well, it's a good jam. Did you do that? Uh, ExtremeMusic.com. Here's a good example of how, how it works. Um, I, I was looking for the perfect song to play at the head of the podcast. Yeah. The issue is, is that we're talking and you want something sort of driving that gets people interested in what's going on. Something fun loving, something bright. And kept looking and kept searching. And then I found this song that was the perfect mix of dri- driving beat yeah. and also short. It's not a long song. It's only about a minute and a half. And it had a nice like fade out. So I picked it. And, uh, and now it's become our theme song. But it's a really, really good example of how you could find anything on ExtremeMusic.com. You know what's cool too about Extreme Music? Because I opened an account the other you know, well, a while back now. They, um, the real, um, they reach out to you yeah. if you have any questions. Like the guy, Chris, I think his name is. There's a few of them. That yeah, they, it's nonstop. Like once you sign up and you give their email, they're they're there for yeah. you. Like you're not you're not tripping. Like you can. Have you asked any questions? Not really, because everything's so self-explanatory. You right. just you kind of just plug it in. There's so many options. You go down that rabbit hole. You're listening to music and beats mm-hmm. and you know. But music is everything. Like with my film right now, made in Mexico. Rich is putting in some music, dude, and it's like night and day. Right. Like, well, he edits because he's a music video editor. By the way, you know, yeah, I, movie I, I may have mentioned this before. He's, you know, he's done um, Jennifer Lopez videos. He's done Even the Paisley Park. Yeah, he do, he's done Pitbull videos. He's done Katy Perry videos. Beyonce. The guy is a very accomplished uh, editor. Yeah. And he. His motivate his motivation to cut scenes comes from music. So, a lot of editors can cut a movie without music. He cannot because yeah. that's like his instincts are all based on. I've heard writers too talk about it. they can't write without music. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And you know it's funny because I've written a couple of things where me, I have music in mind, and early on I would write the music in the script, like this song by this artist and people are like don't write that we don't want you know, I agree with that don't do not write songs in your script unless it's yesterday where it's all based on the Beatles but yeah. well I'm not anymore Roberts I'm just saying what Alarcon told me <laughs> yeah well you know it's funny yeah do not yeah you, you can use any music you want in your cut you just yeah. have to replace it later yeah he's he's using extreme music so yeah. a lot of stuff and then there's also uh, a buddy of mine who's from San Diego where we're all from um he gave me the rights to like use all of his music. Totally. Yeah, you, there's, there's sometimes it's nice to use extreme music and local bands. Yeah, 
you know, people that kids that you know or, or, or friends that you know that have written original music that you can use that's nice? I've uh, used uh, original music on my podcast. Is that right? Yeah. Who uh, wrote my, that? Uh, my buddy. Oh, uh, cool. Nice. A, a bartender guy. Yeah, anyways. Yeah, yeah. No, that's awesome because, um, you know, there's people around you and those are rights that you can easily get. You know, you, if they don't have a deal with a record label or anything like that, then you can give them a hundred bucks. Yeah, uh, fifty bucks, and uh, and you've got a song that's of course non-exclusive that they can still sell. Yeah. Question for you, Roberts: How hard is it going to be to raise money in these times for films? Um, you know what? That's a great question. That's a great wow. question. Let's talk about that. Um, I got to go raise money. <laughs> I would say this: during all times, whether they're good or bad, you know, there are people right now that are getting very that are going to be very rich. Yeah, because they had money saved or put away in cash um, mm-hmm. for things like this. The stock market is now tanking. Uh, a lot of people understand how to get their money into the market now and wait a year or two for it to come back or even months. You know, sometimes people are jumping in and watching it drop and getting paid for it dropping. So during this time, there are probably some millionaires that are going to be made. Yeah, there there are some millionaires that are going to be made. So to answer your question, it's almost like you have to pivot. You have to get away from everyone that you're dealing with, turn to the right, and find some new people that potentially have available funds. Because the people, even the people that you know we're dealing with on our development stuff, they are hitting hard times. We had some things we were developing where we had financial backing, which fell out now. Yeah. You know, Me too. People are scared. People are nervous. Yeah. Uh, but like I said, there are also people that are benefiting, uh, and not in a bad way, just smart, intelligent people with money in the bank, taking their money, shorting some stocks, putting their money in on the way down, putting their money in on the way up. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there'll be, there's definitely money to find. It's not as easy as when things are going well, but you could still find it. And I would say, you know, you got to ask around. You know, it's interesting because one of our guests we're going to have, Matthew Helderman from Bondit, mm-hmm. he started off in the New York Stock Exchange. So he probably knows a few tricks. Yeah, yeah. I would, I would say, look, six degrees of separation on that. Ask people and maybe even the people that, even the investors that are saying they've hit tough times, they might know someone who's yeah. doing well. Um, it's just not going to be as easy to find. But at this time, it's like uh, everyone's on their content thinking binge. Yeah. And so like they're like, man, I got all these great ideas but no cash. Yeah. Man, so yeah. it's kind of a catch twenty. But maybe right. if you could show them like made in Mexico, bam, check this out. That's right. Private Elecon, I like that. Elecon came in, saved my ass. Nice. Look, considering the Rona has affected everyone so negatively, it's yeah. actually worked in your favor because you were doing post on your film which you don't have a whole lot of money for an editor. Yeah. Uh, and Rich Alarcon, who's a, a plus editor, had the time and the ability to make a deal with you yeah. that benefits you time-wise and financially because you'll be able to take care of him on, you know, on the other side. And if I would have listened to Roberts in the beginning... Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's different, though, because you made a good point, Roberts, and I was like, well, editors, like real editors, they have visions. They, like, know, they can look at something... And they, could, they win Academy Awards. Yes, they win Academy Awards. Very true. Um, and so he took, you know, because Kamani didn't do a bad cut. It was just, you know, he did what we asked him. It was, it was like our vision, but I'm not an editor. You know, I'm a writer, and I, I kind of knew what I wanted when I wrote it. Yeah. 
and it didn't always play out that way, but Alarcon saw it and saw something completely different. Same story, but he saw other shots. He saw other things. And then, and then with his knowledge, he started making it. He gave, he gave it more of a style, I guess, if you want to say. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's what I learned from this. Is like a, you know, you got to know your style of your film before you go into it. you got to know, you know the tone and all the other stuff. Right. And I really didn't. I mean, I did, but I didn't. You know, I was kind of going more off of characters. Right. And I thought the characters would set the tone and where he came in and gave it some graphics and started the colors different, mm, yeah. different angles. He, he's using footage that he's using footage that you forgot about that. Not anything we forgot about, just like <laughs> B-roll footage that we said, OK, just run tape because this is just going to be and B-roll will have music over this. Yeah. And so Lilo and I are bullshitting and talking. It's organic, though, because he stayed in character mm. and we were just sitting there like bullshitting. And he's using it, and it's funny. It wow. it actually works, you know. Because and I never thought that we were gonna, that was just supposed to be us talking with music over in a montage, you know what I mean? But now it's actually footage in the film. I knew Rich was on the cutting edge of the work that he was doing. I knew he. I know he has style. I know he's always looking for the newest ways to cut, whatever the new kids are using. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and he uses it in our work. So I have a tendency to trust him a lot more than I trust myself, and that goes for anybody who's doing uh, a work on either a film or a television show. If you are hired to be for your opinion, yeah. Then I'm going to take it. Otherwise, why hire you? Yeah, yeah, that's you know? a good point. I mean, yeah, look, as much as I love directors, directors didn't study. And by the way, there might be one out there, so I don't want to say there's none. But none of the ones that none of the directors that I have worked with have all of the skills in every department to be the expert in that department. Yeah. So if as a film director, you did not train to be a world-class editor, then I don't expect you to be telling the editor what to do every minute of every day. Yeah. That's his job. Let him do his job. You make your comments later. He'll adjust accordingly, according to what is allowable in his world, because that's his world. Yeah. And that goes for wardrobe, and that goes for sound, and that goes for music. It goes for everything. Makeup, everything. A director can come in and give you his flair, yeah. give you his feel, give you his style. Yeah. But you have to trust your department heads. Yeah. Otherwise, don't hire them. Yeah. Do the job yourself. You know, also, too, like dailies come in or clips come in where I made a big mistake before is I would give... I would give notes on what just came in. I would say, this is really cool, but can you do this or can we do that? Mm. Where I think, like I think I've used this analogy before, makeup. Like, let the let it just get all finished and then go through and give your notes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Instead of like holding up the process by giving notes in that first like 10 minutes. And now it's going to take another three weeks to do because you have a bunch of notes. Yeah. I mean, if you're a writer that raised your own money that's now also producing and also directing which happens then yeah you're in charge of it all you get to decide yeah but it's really great to be open and get at a round table and let people throw in their ideas i have an enormous amount of respect for the director because that's a very important job you throw your ideas out he picks and chooses yeah and if you're passionate about something that's going wrong in your department then stand up and hold court and explain and fight for what it is that you think is right, and then you may lose because the director may overrule. Well, even like Paul Schrader mm. said, how it, you know he's a screenwriter, Oscar winner, the whole bit, and his it's a blueprint, like you said. It films about a film is about a collaboration, 
It's not about the writer. It's not about the director. It's not about the actor. It's about everybody working together to produce the movie mm-hmm. that's going to be seen. So it's not, and you know, just because you write it doesn't mean that's what's going to be up on the screen. So look, now that you know we're all sort of under lockdown, uh, I, I f- it's funny because I feel like I was watching more movies before the lockdown now that the lockdown happens i can't really decide what to watch Mm -hmm. you know so i i tend to watch the news and then maybe towards the end of the night i'll watch a like a like maybe a a show or something but i'm not binging as much as i used to it's a weird thing like i feel like i'm not i watched a few good men which i mentioned on the last show but um, I did not. I haven't seen another film film since. Did you watch it on your phone in bed? Sometimes you. No, watch I watched it. No, no, no. I watched it on TV. Are you guys watching things like? Are, are you guys? What are you doing with the with the extra time you have? Uh, usually, when I get home, like I'll put a show on, and uh, just so I have some ambient noise. Yeah. Just some a comedy while I make dinner. Yeah. I mean, because everybody, I think everybody's making dinner now. Yeah, I'm um, getting know, fat. Dude. Five times a week. <laughs> yeah. um, and then later on during the night when it's time to settle down, I'll go through two or three movies. Just you know. Hang on, you're getting fat? Yeah, I was you're already getting... No, I'm getting fatter, <laughs> I should say. Okay, sorry. I'm just wanted to correct. Beast mode just right kidding. Um, I've been doing a lot of writing, dude. Yeah. I finished up one thing for for my buddy. Like I think I told you guys, I, this script, this short went from... It, it went all. It went so many different places, from a short to feature to another style to a different style. And now, with the, I finally finished it. There's like action involved in it and everything. Um, he gets it. He loves it. But now he wants to kind of put in the pandemic. And I was like, oh my god. Oh. So I'm waiting to get notes on that. But um, I'm sure it's going to be great. Uh, and then I started working on another thing. Uh, but I've only actually watched. It's funny. Um, it's Friday. I started listening to Joe Exotic. The Tiger King, yeah, the podcast, yeah, right. and so I told my wife, who wasn't a fan, I said, "Let's watch this. It's the biggest thing. Everybody's buzzing about it. Yeah, what, cover on Access every day." I sat Friday and watched the entire thing, seven episodes. Um, wasn't tripping. I saw a documentary before that, like a week week before that, called I don't know if you guys have seen this, "Searching for Sugarman." Mm-hmm. Have you seen that? I did. I saw it at Sundance. Yeah, it was amazing. Like it was, it was by far my favorite. Let me tell you what. But Tiger King, I wasn't tripping on. Let me yeah. tell you what. I agree with you 100%. I think one. Tiger King is average at best. Yeah. And I'm not saying that those guys didn't do good work. I'm not saying that they didn't find a really interesting subject. But I am saying that there is better documentaries out there with much better twists. I, dude, I watched that documentary thinking there was going to be some great twist at the end. He goes to jail. He sort of deserved to be in jail. Did what's-her-name kill her husband? I don't know, but maybe a court should decide that. That would make a much better documentary for me. Yeah. Like, she wasn't accused of anything. The dude accused her. He was doing some really weird off-center shit. So I found it sort of tacky. And yeah. I and I kind of had wished I didn't spend all of my time on it because it should have been an hour long. That's what yeah. my wife told me. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> why five, six, seven episodes? Like, I get it. You're stretching it out. Now they're going to do another one. Yeah. Oh my god, I'm boycotting that. But <laughs> but I'll tell you, there are better documentaries to watch if you really want to see something where you invested your time and it was worth it. Watch the Jinx on HBO. The Jinx, unbelievable documentary. You will like your your you will your Is life it a series will change. Or one like it's a, doc. a series. 
It's a it's a limited series, but it's unbelievable. You won't believe it. Like the jinx, everyone's saying you won't believe it. That's nothing. People are saying the Tiger King is unbelievable. Watch the jinx and you tell me. Right. The jinx is a crazy story. And I'm not going to even say anything about it. I think people should go see it. But there's also... Robert Durst, right? That's yeah, Robert Durst. Oh, yeah. I did, I did see it pop up on the screen. Unbelievable. Yeah. Okay. It's been out for it. a while, though, right? That, yeah. yeah, it's yeah. old. But, it's, yeah. but it's, it's the thing that brought me back to documentaries. In fact, I'm going to say that when that documentary was made, it spawned a bunch of other documentaries because... the, the True ending, crime, right? Yeah, the ending of The Jinx is so shocking. It's so shocking what happens at the end of that movie. You would never predict the end. I mean, people might read about it, but you would never predict it. I, had, I knew nothing about uh, Robert Durst, but it was really evil and interesting yeah. and tr- an amazing uh, ending. So that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Making a Murder yeah. was a really good documentary. So I, I don't know. I'm not sure, but I, Love I know. Love and Betrayal, Life on the Force. Love, and, betra- Love and Betrayal on the Force. On the Force. On the Force. Derek McMillions must be really McMillions good. was okay too. Oh, it was just okay. I mean, I was really interested for the first episode or two, yeah. and then I, and then they just kind of dragged it out again. They they just made it too long, right. um, and I get it. And and by the way, I I, I watch them all. I get invested two yeah. episodes in, and then I got to see them all. Yeah. But um, but yeah, I would say go check out. You know what? Check out the Jinx, and then uh, shoot me a an Instagram message and see. Tell me what you thought. Yeah. How's the show going? When are you guys doing your first uh, Nahara show? Probably this week. Yeah. If there is people out there that want to do a podcast, mm-hmm. do you think there's room? In, there's tons of room in the industry for p- more oh, podcasts, yeah. right? For sure. People are digging podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. And it's only going to get bigger. Because it's not, it's not really regulated. That's the thing, too. So you can kind of say what you want. I mean, yeah, when you do your first episode, you put it up. Whoever it is listens to it, iTunes right. or whatever. Make sure you're not you know, crazy. Mm-hmm. And then from there out, you really don't, you could talk about whatever you want to talk about. So what's the investment? If you want to do a podcast, four mics, four mic stands, a mixer. You don't even need four you, mics. You need an iPhone. You can record yeah. literally. Really? Yeah. yeah. If you really wanted to do it, you can really Dude, do the it iPhone But you're talking so about what? no guests, just you. Just yourself. Okay. But what if you wanted some guests and you want to do this, like a thousand bucks gets you everything uh, you need? You can do it. Less? You can do it for less. cheaper than that. Maybe, maybe. get a used, what is this thing? This is 300 uh, bucks. You can get everything 300 bucks. For yeah. $300, you get your mixer, you get your mics. Yeah. You, you can use Audacity, uh, which is a free program on the internet, mm-hmm. and you can boom. use extreme music. Use extreme, extreme music, intro. buy your intro music right there, and yeah. then uh, go to Buzzsprout. Yeah, you can do Buzzsprout. That's, yeah, it's the easiest, most intuitive one. And then you're all uh, you're all set. You put out a podcast and just be consistent. That's what you told me, right? You got to do it every That's, single week. You got to yep. do it. At, you, it's every consistency is everything, dude. We're going into our 49th week, dude. You're feeding the machine, man. Yeah, longer than that, actually. Yeah, we have our. Um, Solid fan base. Thank you guys for listening. Hey, what about Perry Gilpin the other day? Wasn't that amazing? Awesome. Oh, of course. Dave's in love. Of course, you guys. Look at him light up right now. She blew. She blew my socks off. Ah, she's funny. She's 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 beautiful. She's talented. Yeah. You know, and she's humble. I'd like to have her back, like in the room, because it's hard on Zoom because you you know they you don't want to interrupt. Right. You don't want to say because then it gets digital. Um, but she's uh, she's super funny, yeah. and uh, and you know I've heard rumors that uh, Frazier is coming back, yeah. And I don't true. know if that's true. I didn't want to ask her because I don't want to put her on the spot either. Mm-hmm. But 
it may come back. I mean, it would be a great one. Yeah, it would be a great one to see again. Eleven years. It's it was, like uh, it's like watching Cheers. One in of my way. mom's favorite shows. I mean, all of ours. But my right. mom. I, I mentioned to my mother. I was like, "Hey, mom, guess who was on the podcast the other day?" <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> "She was like, no way." Oh, I uh, right. Yeah, my dad's a big fan. I gotta tell him. And, they, I, and I sent her a screenshot of um, the Zoom meeting. She, oh, she was that's like, cool. Oh, that's so cool. Make sure you put that Zoom picture. It's up. coming. To yeah. All right, post cool. it tomorrow, actually. You want to get our guest on? Yeah. Would you tell me about? What she's done, like what her story is. Tell me a little bit about her before she, she comes on. She is, she's from Brazil. Her name is uh, Carolina Gropa. Carolina it? Gropa. But she's an independent film maker. She's produced 16 films. She's acted in 10. She's written one. She's done makeup. She's production manager, miscellaneous, the whole bit. She's done it all. I think, she's and she does all. a lot. She wears a lot of hats on her films. I noticed that. Yeah. Okay, uh, cool. Well, let's uh, get her on Zoom and let's uh, talk about independent film. Social media plays such an important role in all this stuff. So I ended up meeting another podcaster who's a filmmaker, Karen Grupa, correct? Grupa. Grupa, <laughs> who's Brazilian, yeah. but Italian, who yeah. um, through social media we connected in, and she's an independent filmmaker and done quite a bit from makeup, which I'm a makeup artist as well as a filmmaker, to producing, writing, acting. Have you directed yet? No, I haven't. I haven't. I haven't caught the caught the bug yet for directing. Yet, I mean, look, anything is possible. You know, that's one of the cool things about our industry. I find that it's kind of pretty malleable in that way. You can kind of jump around from the d- different disciplines and learn things that you wouldn't otherwise. You know, I don't think you could do that in the corporate world. You know, can't go from like marketing to I don't know some other department. Not so easily. So how did you get your start in uh, in filmmaking? Yeah, so I actually moved to L.A. to pursue acting originally 13 years ago, which is wild. Whew, that just took me a minute to process. Yeah, this actually will be my 14th year, so I'm like well into that. Um, you know, I, I go-getter, like my we, we came to the States when I was nine, so I very much have always had that immigrant mentality of like fighting for my dream and hustling towards the things that I want and very driven from a young age. I don't know why, what happened there. But uh, so I came out here, you know, to to go to an acting conservatory. And a few years into that journey, it was 06. So in 08, you know, we had the writer's strike and the economy and everything that happened. And I got very frustrated because, you know, it's crazy to think how fat, how much has changed in such little time. But back then, you know, YouTube was just starting. Twitter barely existed. So getting access to opportunities and auditions as an actor, you really were beholden to someone else to really truly waiting by the phone for the phone to ring. And that was not a lifestyle I could sign up for as a hungry, hungry uh, person. So I started to think, well, what can I do to create opportunities for myself as an actor? And I, you know, at the time, I don't know if you guys remember, but it was like, sketch comedy was like the thing people were doing on YouTube and I was like well I'm not that funny and I'm not trying to write sketches so what could I do to like get myself seen by more people in the business and I had this idea to produce a play I had never produced anything but I knew I loved theater and I was good at it and I loved performing in front of a live audience so I through very sort of serendipitous crazy story ended up getting an angel investor to give me twenty thousand dollars to produce a play having no experience um and it was incredible we ran for six weeks at a theater on sunset that now is the new ucb theater and um 
you know, I cast actors who were better than me and I was doing everything. I was holding down like four part-time jobs. I was the lead of this play. I was trying to produce it and market. It was like insane, but that's what you do when you're like 22. You just have that energy, (laughs) you know? Um, and I really thought, okay, after this, this experience, I'm going to get better reps. I'm going to get seen by casting directors. This is going to take my career to the next level. And it did, but not in ways that I could have foreseen. So a lot of the people who came to see the show were very impressed by the production and my, me as a producer. And they were like, wait, like you put all this together and you didn't know what you were doing. That's incredible. Like most people can't do that. You you should be doing this. Like not that the acting, you can do the acting, but this is like special. And I, I had never thought of it because I, I've been that way my whole life. You know, I was always the girl who would finish group projects, <laughs> you know, so, um, so it just became apparent that there was this other way to be creative and this other career path that I, I never knew existed. Um, um, and I just kept sort of walking down the doors that naturally opened. And there was a, you know, a good chunk of like five years where I worked all sorts of odd jobs while producing shorts for no money and just kind of doing everything. Hence makeup. I did makeup for a while. I thought maybe makeup is what I want to do. And then I got to be in on set as a makeup artist. And I was like, well, I don't want to be stuck in the makeup trailer. I need to be where the action's at. I want to know what's going on with all the departments. And so it became clear that producing really was a calling card and it really always was the intention of I'm going to do this so I can create my own opportunities. Right. So I'm going to go back into the acting. I'm going to take that back door entrance, that side door and just still get in, get my foot in the door. But for every acting opportunity I didn't get, I just kept getting incredible producing opportunities. And so I I would not want to poo poo on that. So I just kept like walking through those doors and here I am like 13 years later, um, that play I mentioned actually opened May 21st, 2010. So this will be 10 years this May since I started on my producing journey. I wouldn't say I was like thriving or living as a, making a living as a producer that whole time, but it really was the, the pivot, you know, and to see like how the path has unfolded looking back, it's been pretty incredible of a ride. So, you know, it's funny. We just had Perry Gilpin on the show last week. Mm -hmm. And she talked about her career and her uh, her big uh, break really came from producing a play on Sunset Boulevard from an investor that believed in her. And she went off and did it at the Tiffany Theater, which the Tiffany's not there anymore. But uh, yeah, but, uh, did you use elements of sound and music in your place? Not too much because this was a drama. It's called Spike Heels by Teresa Rebecca. And it's a wonderful play that's got like four meaty roles for all actors involved so there wasn't ever like the guy who just knocks on the door and has like three lines you know because I really wanted to honor actress time since they weren't really getting paid a ton of money but I knew even from then that I had a certain taste from a production standpoint where I was like we're going to get a we're going to get a professional production designer. We're going to build a set. I want the set to be dynamic. You know, the the set as is essentially two different apartments throughout the first act it happens in one apartment, the second act happens in the other apartment. So, how do you change the set to create this different feel without having a ton of money? So, I really wanted to I spent all that money on hiring a director, hiring a production designer, lighting, you know, and I just wanted all the money to be on the stage and on the production and so from an early I guess age I or the beginning of my producing career I always had that taste you know like the Ira Glass quote I don't know if you guys are familiar with it that when you start out on something it's like you have the taste but you don't have the experience yet 
and and that's the thing that gets you in the game and you get frustrated because you start out thinking that your first thing is going to be where you'll be 10,000 hours from now, (laughs) but you got to go through all of that to get there, you know? And I, I just, I had this instinctual thing. It's kind of something I can't explain, which is why, you know, there's also this component that I grew up wanting to be an actor. I had a very emotional attachment to this identity of an actor, whereas producing was like just a thing that happened. So I felt very detached from the results, which is ironic because, because of that, I think it, kind of was a much easier journey because I didn't even know that was a thing I could do. Um, and so when the door started opening, it just felt so much easier in so many ways, even though there was so much to learn and producing is insanely complicated, of course, but from just the journey itself, it, it, it always felt like, you know, in the horror film, there's always that house that's got the boards and like the keep out sign and it's decrepit and the, the, you know, the kid always ends up going in the house and it's never a good time. That's how my acting journey sort of had felt up to that point. (laughs) Whereas, yeah. And I had been like trying to find ways in and everybody's like, no, you know, Uh, whereas like producing felt like uh, it was almost like I was in this wonderland with lush green grass and everyone was outside saying, welcome, Carolina. We have pie inside. (laughs) You know, it was such a different um, perspective and it could be my own sort of mind about it all. But I don't know. It's just, it just always felt easier. You know, a lot of, a lot of filmmakers, um, you know, get really stuck on, it has to be a film or it has to be a short uh, or it has to look a certain way. And truth be told, I think, you know, doing plays, um, you know, doing, using all sorts of mediums, um, you know, with digital now, with digital platforms, you just, you just sort of have to show Mm -hmm. your talent. And if you show your talent, you're going to get a break. And, and you obviously, um, had a lot of talent. You've made a lot of movies. You've done a lot of work, and um, and it all started because yeah. you can do it all. You know, you you really can do it all. You're you're doing it in a play, and people notice that you have the talent, and then you move that over to to film, and it works for you. So that that's an inspirational story. That's pretty cool. Congratulations. Absolutely. Thank you. Did you like do you like raising money? That's the big question. <laughs> no, it sucks. It's the worst part of it. I mean, it's pros and cons. You know, I think it's. In the beginning, <laughs> I think it's like in the beginning, I, I didn't know that it was impossible. So I just kind of did it. And then once I did it, I was like, oh, everyone said that that was impossible. And I now it now I'm like in my head about it because I didn't know. And it just kind of happened. But I've had the privilege of a lot of the projects I've been a part of, um, you know, starting up in my career. A lot of them were fully financed. And I came in and just was a part of a producing team a lot of times in physical production. Um, but there are a few sort of very personal projects that I sort of spearheaded from the ground up, one of which is a doc uh, called Autism in Love that I produced and didn't know what I was doing, but just knew instinctually I would figure it out, which I think is so much of producing. And it went on to premiere at Tribeca and we got acquired by Netflix in 2015, which at the time was a huge deal because Netflix was still just an acquisitions department and they weren't doing original content fully yet. They had just started. And that project went on to become like Emmy nominated, you know, and it was such a 
just such a surprise because I had I had no intention of producing a doc, producing a doc on the subject of adults with autism, which is what this project was about. So every step of the way, it's it's always felt very serendipitous, like the people that get placed in my path, the projects that I get brought into always seem to happen at the right moment in time, if that makes sense. And I, I'm always like, yeah, but I want to be over there. And then the universe is like, but you're going to stay right here for now. Cause you got some shit to learn. Can I curse on your podcast? Yeah, of course. Okay. You know, so I think there's a lot of humility that comes with that, but but of, of all the projects, if you I look at my IMDb, there's like I said, there's I don't want to create an impression that I am the kind of producer that raised all that money because that isn't me. Like I said, a lot of these projects were financed when I came in. They were uh, two of my features were Netflix originals. And so I, I've been very fortunate in that way. And I've gotten to really learn the physical production side of the business so well that now, you know, so many years later, it's like, what's the pivot now? You know, how do I continue to grow and evolve and be challenged and, and be uncomfortable, honestly? Because as you can probably tell, like I, I can't sit still for too long. I just have that energy that I think is intrinsic to the kinds of people that go on to become producers. Let me ask you about the autism film. Was that personal to you in any way? Did you have any connection or know anybody that was autistic? No. Not at all. And it's actually why I knew I had to do it because when somebody brought up the word autism to me in 2012, which is when we started on that journey, I couldn't tell you what it was. I thought I didn't understand how it was any different from Down syndrome or some other um, conditions, you know, and so neither did my director, Matt Fuller, who I, who I had gone to college with and brought into the project. He was making a big career pivot where he was thinking he was going to be a studio producer type and was like, wait a minute, what am I doing? I want to be a filmmaker. I want to direct. And he, I caught him at that right moment where I got to bring him into this project. But neither one of us knew anything about autism. The The autism link was our executive producer, Ira Heilville, who I had had a personal relationship with because in this whole time I was learning to produce, my thrival job was a job I got off of Craigslist, believe it or not, being an administrative assistant for this doctor who was in the autism field. And that was Ira. And so he was very supportive of the fact that I was working this day job, but I was hustling and I was grinding to learn and I was shadowing people and I was making things and not getting paid and, you know, just living on pennies. So when this idea came for this project that was Ira's idea, he was like, Hey, I have this idea. I want to explore this topic of adults with autism and romantic relationships. Do you think you could make a documentary about it? And I was like, absolutely. (laughs) You know, he's like, you produce, right? I was like, yup. He's like, can you make a doc? I was like, sure can. Didn't know what I was doing, but I knew I'd I'd figure it out, you know? And so he was my link into it all. Um, and together we just all figured it out. And it was, I think because we didn't have a direct relationship to any of this, like it, it, in my opinion is what made the film, the success that it had, because we didn't have an agenda. We just were there to explore this topic through the lens of the people themselves who gave us access to their lives. And we ended up having the good fortune, if you want to call it that, of catching people in these huge transitional moments in their lives that make for great storytelling, you know, ton of conflict, ton of climaxes. You can't curate people's lives like that when you're making a doc. So we we just got very, very lucky with our timing. 
That's, and, a, that's, um, a, that's a really good point. Uh, that's a yeah. really good point. And I think for people who are listening, uh, you don't have to be immersed in the world to, uh, to do a good documentary about, uh, about something. You just really have to be willing to um, discover stuff as much as possible. That's very cool, though. I, I, I love that you, know, you kind of jumped into the unknown and came out the other side with a really great body. Because I think the point of view was from your viewer's point of view. So you went into this sort of learning and, and learning as you went. And when you put your story together, you sort of put it together from an honest place rather than from a place of an agenda. So that's very cool. That's awesome. Thanks. I like to think so. And it really is, it really is a gift that keeps on giving. I mean, we still to this day get people emailing us about it, sending us notes, thanking us for making this, this film. And, and it's like, we all get into this business to be storytellers and to hopefully impact people with the stories that we tell. And the format nowadays is almost irrelevant. So to know that you are part of creating something that helps someone in some way, whether through laughter or, you know, education, whatever the thing may be, um, is truly what it's all about. It's all, it's all making sense. That's cool. So what's uh, next for you? What's next? Oh God. Uh, I, I, I always, I'm always doing too much. I've struggled with that my whole life. Uh, it's a blessing and a curse. But I'm currently, so in this season, pre-COVID-19, I had already sort of set on this journey to make a bit of a pivot from a physical line producer, which is what I've been mostly doing. Um, for, for the listeners, that's typically the person who is hired to, you know, create a budget and a schedule early on when a film is greenlit. And then ex- and is hired then to execute that plan in a physical production standpoint. In the independent film space, a line producer is typically also the UPM, the unit production manager. So you're kind of wearing both hats where you're managing the budget, but also managing all of your crew, all of your department heads and everything that goes with the insanity that is production. Um, and I love that. I love that chaos. I thrive in chaos. But as I start to think about what I want my life to look like, what I want to challenge myself with. And truly, because of my podcast, Life with Kaka, where I interview other producers, um, I've gotten to learn so much about different career paths and see 20 years into a potential future that could exist for me and say, do I want that? Do I not want that? So it's been a really sort of therapeutic, exploratory process, even for me, um, accidentally honestly with my podcast I, I that wasn't my intention when I went into it but now being on the other side of no, I'm still doing it but you know being like 30 episodes in and having it be such a part of my life for the past year and some change um, it's been a really sort of eye-opening experience for me as well and I think for the listeners too so all that to say that I, I'm very interested in pivoting a little bit and leaning into all of my experience as the kind of producer who actually knows how to make a movie or make a thing, whatever the thing. Like I can read a thing and then I can make a plan for that thing and tell you how much that thing's going to cost and then go make that thing. And not a lot of producers have that skill set, unfortunately. Creative producers um, who've come up the more traditional side of the business through working at a desk and being in development. They have some amazing qualities they bring to the table. But my experience in having these conversations through the podcast is that a lot of them sometimes can lack that knowledge. And uh, because I do have that knowledge, it's like, well, I want to challenge myself. And part of that challenge is now spearheading my own projects, developing features that I'm passionate about, um, 
and seeing what happens. You know, I, I, my whole life has been in the unknown. And so it's kind of funny that in this time of COVID-19, it's like, well, nothing has really changed for me. You know, I've been freelancing my whole adult life. I've, I'm always somehow unemployed or in these like in-between moments of my existence. And so I've learned through much pain and tears and too much drinking, like how to, how to, how to like, how to like thrive in that, you know, how to like make the best of that because it isn't forever. Nothing is forever. Um, COVID-19 isn't forever. And so taking this time to rest as much as I can, but still kind of put, put my, my, my hat, my game hat, is that what I'm saying? Like my produce game hat, game hat on and like really start to take this time to make these kind of pivots that I want to make. And, um, I'm a big believer in manifestation. I know it can sound cheesy, but I could tell you like almost everything that's that you can see through my Instagram or all of the things that are one dimensional perspectives of my career. Like I've really put the work in and I, and I have manifested a lot of that by being very specific about what it is that I want to learn or where I want to be challenged. Um, and that's what I'm doing now. I'm just trying to find how I can pivot into more of a creative producer role and where I can be an asset to other creative teams that don't necessarily have the knowledge that I bring to the table. Wow. Well, it sounds like um, you really, really know what you're doing in terms of your life. This is very cool. And you keep uh, you keep uh, pushing forward. Before uh, we get to your podcast, which I do want to talk about your podcast. Yeah, um, yeah. You know... A lot of filmmakers, a lot of people out there, you know, that are, that, that are coming up now, um, you know, I'm old, so it's different for me. I think <laughs> you're, sort, you're sort of in the new age of it all, too. But there's so many things to produce, so many different ways to put product out these days. What, what advice would you give someone? Yeah, I mean, I would still immerse myself in learning about all parts of the process because I think the more you know and have like the breadth of understanding of what it takes to make a thing, the better you're going to be at making that thing while the way of getting there may be changing and the traditional models may be changing the knowledge and understanding of other people's jobs hasn't truly changed that much. So really immersing yourself and humbling yourself to say, all right, well, I want to be a director. That's cool. But maybe you should go learn about all these other things that need to happen and come into place so you can show up and do your job, whether that's three people making an Instagram video, I don't know, or, you know, managing a hundred people on a set. Like, like where can you go get the experience and humble yourself to watch other people do the thing while also doing your own thing and understanding you're going to be messing up along the way. And there's not one way to do anything, which is why it, this question is so tricky because it, it's so hard to give practical advice, but from where I'm sitting, I believe, and I'm on a mission to put more love and compassion and kindness in our world, on our sets and in our creative process, right? Whatever that means to whoever's listening. So can you go and learn the hard skills that you need to learn to do your best work, whether that's computer stuff, learning VR, whatever is the next technology, TikTok, I don't know. All of that stuff is great. But the most important thing, in my opinion, is can you still be a kind, compassionate person with integrity and authentic in your journey? 
And I think if you can hone into that, because that is not something you can teach someone. That is just intrinsic to who someone is. Either you want to live your life that way or you don't. And if you do, it can be a little harder because there's a lot of cynical, shady people all over the world. And I think they're just people who are in pain, right? So how can you navigate this creative process as a creator, whatever that means now or 10 years from now, and still be able to rest your head on your pillow or whatever we're sleeping on 10 years from now? Maybe it's not a pillow. I don't know. Like, you know, and feel good about who you're showing up in your life. I think that is so important because I've seen so many people get where they're going and be really frustrated or be lonely or be cynical. And to me, that's like, well, then what's the point? Like, it's all so hard. Like, just that's a that's a really good point and beautifully said. But uh, tell me about your podcast. Why did you start a podcast? What was the, you know, why, you know, I, one of these days I'll tell you why we started this one, but uh, why did you start yours? Great question. Uh, I have, you know, I'm a very creative person. I am an artist first. I have an artist's heart. And I think that's actually what makes me a really good producer is I understand artists. I understand art. I understand all of that stuff behind the scenes to get you to that place. And, um, you know, after working within a, a, a context that required so many people to get anything creative done, I got a bit frustrated. I had projects that I was passionate about that like one particular project that lost its financing, like two weeks out from shooting. And I, I went into a depression to be honest, where I was like, this sucks, you know, like I'm just trying to do these things. And when I try to do these things, like this doesn't happen and why me? And I was going through this whole spiral. And then I, when I got out of that spiral, I was like, okay, well, what's in my control, right? What can I create that fulfills this need I have and is a way of connecting with people and talking to people? As you can tell, I can talk very much. I enjoy meeting people. I love connecting with people. And it became clear that a podcast was a really great way to do that and to be of service to others who look to me as if I've accomplished something incredible and I have answers to something that I don't, you know, like I have, I figured out the secret to Hollywood and I'm not, I'm still on the outside of the castle trying to break in through the, 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 the sort of service door. You know what I mean? Like that still feels very much like me. Um, but I just wanted to, create something that I could do on my own. And that's why I actually do this show completely alone. I've been doing it alone for uh, almost two years. Um, and I'm getting ready to find a way to bring a partner on. So it takes a little bit of the back end um, of the creation of the show off of my plate so I can do the thing that I'm really good at and enjoy doing, which is talking to people and producing. Um, but yeah, so I just had this weird transition of my career where I had a lot of people reaching out to me and wanting to pick my brain over coffee and thinking I had something of value to offer, which was so bizarre because I had always been the person cold emailing, cold calling, tweeting at the people that I wanted to meet that I was inspired by. So to be sitting on the other side was sort of surreal. And I also didn't have the time to do that. So I was like, well, how do I, how do I do that? How do I give back to all these people who want to have these conversations. And I realized that a lot of the conversations I've been having privately with producer friends um, of all different levels, I thought everyone was having those conversations. It turns out they weren't. So 
I thought, well, if I can create a space where I can hear about other producers' journeys, sort of demystify what a producer does because it's so confusing, even to me, and I'm in the business, I am a producer, like the world of television is like completely mysterious, right? Because I've come up in the independent side of things. I thought, well, if I can have different perspectives and learn about these journeys and shine a light on the career paths that these people, predominantly women, have had and hopefully help, you know, a 19-year-old who's listening who maybe is like a stage manager for theater and loves doing that but doesn't know how to transition that into a viable career option, well, maybe they can listen to one of these episodes and find out that like a line producer is a real thing or that producing commercials is an actual job, you know? Um, And so I just wanted to give back, honestly. I wanted to be of service. I wanted to create a community and I wanted to shine a light on producers who don't really get a moment in the sun, especially... You know, you you maybe if you're lucky, you get brought up on stage when your film premieres at a big festival. But for a lot of producers, you know, you're, you're kind of always in the in the background, and you're, and that's that's part of the job. And it's not that you want to take away the spotlight from the creatives, but it is a producer is is incredible until they're not a good producer, and then that's when you notice all the things they're doing behind the scenes when they're dropping the ball. And I think that they don't get enough recognition and enough acknowledgement for their contributions. Um, And so I want to shine a light on that. And I also resent a bit social media presenting this image that producers are rubbing shoulders with celebrities and are walking red carpets and are at Sundance and go to award shows. Like that is like 1% of the time once in a while. You know what I mean? And if that's why you're getting into the game, then you're in for the big disappointing ride. So I really wanted to show people the realities, the unglamorous realities of what it takes to do the kind of work that that particular producer does and why they do it. And in the messy parts of that journey, like I was asking you, like there's five years where shit doesn't happen. Like, why do you keep going? It's so hard. What is it about it that keeps you pushing through? And I'm obsessed with that. I'm a junkie for that. You know, I just, I love that. It keeps me going. It's honestly quite selfish. I always say, I'm asking for a friend. I'm actually the friend. Like, <laughs> cool. What's the name of your podcast? So the podcast is called Life with Kaka. And it is a play on my name. My nickname is actually Kaka, believe it or not, growing up um, because my name is Carolina in Portuguese. Phonetically, it's Ka. So my family and my friends growing up always called me Kaka, Kakinha. And it was always like a cute, endearing thing for something messy. And I was a very messy, clumsy child. So it just always fit me. So the idea of calling it Life with Kaka instead of producing with Carolina, you know, it's very much like life is messy. Let's talk about the messy parts of life as it pertains to producing. And one day I'd love to talk to other people in the business and highlight production designers and highlight all these other career paths that exist so that if someone is listening and they're thinking the only four career paths to be a filmmaker is a writer, actor, director, you know, it's, it's like, there's so much more that you can do and your gifts and your talents are needed and welcomed and you don't have to be one of these three things to create great art right no you're right well i uh i can't wait to listen to your podcast now because um you know it's 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 uh it's so true and it's nice to have uh someone you know telling people how it is but you're right you know what i think look 
I, we try to be really positive on the sh on our show and um you know and try to uh, be light but there there's mm -hmm. the sad reality you know look i i i had a film called strangers with candy and sundance at the sundance mm. film festival in 2005 uh it was exec produced financed by david letterman it was the biggest thing i'd ever i've i'd ever done in my career um and i thought that you know, someone had given me a golden ticket and that I was, that that was it, that I was going to be invited to the, uh, you know, to the special room where the producers that work in this town go. <laughs> and there was no special room. There was yeah. no golden ticket. There was actually, uh, you know, not a whole lot of uh, anything out of that. And I had to get back to work. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, it's just like a sad crafty table with like a banana that's way too ripe and some like rice crackers that are stale. That's really what it is. <laughs> totally. Totally. Well, I, I hope, uh, look, I thank you for being on. I really, uh, I, I can't wait to listen to your podcast. It sounds amazing. I hope, uh, I hope uh, you, you get some extra listeners from, from this show. And, uh, and you've had a really cool, I mean, look, you have a lot of career to go, so we can't wait to hear what's next for you. Uh, congratulations on the podcast. Congratulations on your movies. And, uh, and yeah, I would listen to uh, Carolina's uh, podcast so you can <laughs> hear a little bit more about how it's done and uh, how to be inspired in this business. Yeah, I'm I'm at Carolina Gropa and all the socials and the podcast is at Life with Kaka and the website. It's on iTunes and or Apple Pod and Spotify and all the things. And I love hearing from people, connecting with people. So if you guys listen or your listeners listen, let me know what you think. You know, like it really is something I'm doing alone and I'm. I'm I'm very interested in a dialogue and not a monologue. So any thoughts people have, but thank you guys for having me. This is such a treat. It's I, I do truly love meeting other people who are out there fighting the good fight, and so it's it's an honor to be a guest. So thank See you. See you later. Thanks, um, Caroline, for being on. She was awesome. awesome. Was that was a great. Yeah. You know what? I I get inspired by anybody. Who so gets cool. out and gets it done? Yeah. I wish her tons of luck. I mean, we should listen to her podcast. Yeah. What do you know? The chip that we don't have any <laughs> chips here. Uh, that was my favorite show of all time. The the chip the the, the chip re, eating the recount the chip the, the chip eating episode was dude I was starving that day. <laughs> dude, got so many so oh many God. comments about that. Dude, I mean, the chip eating was positive, unbelievable. Positive. I mean, yeah. it was funny. It was funny. Those chips were delicious. <laughs> I cannot wait to get back there. I miss that place. <laughs> Next year we'll be back. The Can cold. I tell you, we're saving a lot of money by not being there though. Are we? Yeah, we are. Sure. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> when we come back, when we're at Pink uh, we got to get a lot of these people. I like the FaceTime. I like the Zoom's cool. It's working, but there's something about sitting across from somebody talking to them. About yeah, it's awesome. terrific. Like I said, we should have Perry Gilpin back. Uh, yeah. It'd be really nice to have her in the room and get that kind of timing because we're funny. Yeah. We, we've got we've got some yeah. comedy chops, don't we? Yeah. yeah. Funny so, how? I mean, what's funny? About oh boy! <laughs> <laughs> you knew it was coming. I had to go there with your story about Pesci. That's great. Thank you guys for coming out on the, on the Rona. We're six feet away, obviously. The Rona. Everyone's wearing um, masks. And you got like a designer one. Though. See, Robert comes in with like a designer mask. Thank you. Thank you. Where'd you get that shit? I got it off uh, Amazon. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, perfect. From right, China. Perfect. It, got, it got sent in from China. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. You can get a mask and can't get another mic stand. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. What's up with that? We need a mic stand. We got we got Fedia now. We got to get Dude, one. I can't go anywhere. Oh, I can't. No, no one lets me in. <laughs> that's true. All right, we'll see you guys next time on Let's Get Into It. That was great. Rona. The Rona.